0: Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is your host, Damon Kusro, and I'm joined by my recently cursed co-host, Zach Cosheta,
1: aka Rakwizan. How is it going, my undead friend? I am doing amazing. We're gonna talk about a new Death War band, so I'm I'm obviously excited.
0: That's right. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the brand new warband that comes in the gnarlwood box set, the Sons of Velmorn.
1: How hyped are you? I'm so hyped. I've I've talked to death about how amazing these models are. Now we get to talk about their cards. So, uh, that's, that's always a plus side.
0: Yeah. Models are gorgeous. You love death warbands. You think they're OP. We get it. It's cool. Yeah, they're cool. Well, nice. Well, we're going to do that, but we're going to do our regular segments as well. So, first off, thank you to our patrons. Thanks for supporting us, helping us keep the lights on, and letting us do what we do best, which is create awesome content for the community. If you're interested in supporting the mod- the podcast monetarily, excuse me, you can check us out at patreon.com slash paththeglory. And if that's not possible, that's okay. We still appreciate the listens and the ratings. So, give us a thumbs up. Really appreciate it. Now, yeah, absolutely. We're going to skip on some of the banter because you probably heard it in the last episode and you're probably listening to these pretty quickly or in quick succession, which we appreciate. So we're going to skip that because really, we're going to hear talk about the good stuff. Um, and so we're going to start with um, two of our segments. One is Leave It or Leave It and the other one is Inspiration Strikes. Those um, Inspiration Strikes was a recently um, delivered segment that we did. Got great feedback. So, we're going to keep doing it over and over again. The music will be toned down a little bit so you can properly hear what the person is inspir- inspiring about, if you will. Um, but overall, I'm really happy to hear that it was well received. Um, and, and we really enjoy doing it and we're going to keep doing it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So, let's start with... sleeve <laughs> it
1: or leave it. Zach, what do you got for us? Well, today we're going to go over a card that... Uh, I think everyone should be familiar with if you've been playing for the last few months or so, uh, sudden revelation. This is a search card, one glory, uh, this immediately in a power step or after a power step. If you delved two or more times. Yeah. So you're right. Or if you flip two or more tokens. Yeah. My apologies.
0: No, you're good. Um, so effectively like this card, super popular, restricted, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but now with the changes to the way delving works, A, you know, it doesn't matter on whether or not the objectives are feature tokens, you know, were face up or face down. It all that mattered that you delved, but now you get staggered when you delve. Right? So I feel like you know, maybe should this card be restricted? Are you still gonna take it? I mean, there's so many questions here that I want to answer because, you know, staggering two of your fighters effectively making them easier to hit seems like a pretty fair trade-off for you know a quick surge what do you
2: think
1: yeah it's um it's kind of hard to think about now and i'm trying i've been mulling it over the last few days actually ever since we've uh they they showed off the delve change um as part of the preview um I think it goes back to our question of what makes a card res- restriction worthy. Sun Revelation was restriction worthy because everybody was running it. I think Sun Revelation is now good enough that certain warbands are going to run it. Certain warbands are going to always have it in their deck but it's not going to be in every person's deck and there's plenty of warbands that it's only going to be in sometimes. So, I think it's still a sleeve for me but I wonder if we're going to see its status. Tra- Actually, I take that back. It might not be a sleeve for me if it remains on the restricted list, but I wonder if we will see its status change in an update or two.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum, really, because it's, it's such an easy card to score. Mm-hmm. But you're right in that.
1: I don't know if I'm sleeving it, if it, if
0: I'm going to have to pay that penalty,
1: right? And it's it's easy to score, but it's also – it comes with a downside, right? Like if you have two objectives in your backfield, you can score it extremely easily and without a downside. But if you're a faction that wants to go forward and score it over an opponent's line or it, take an objective in enemy territory, it comes with a pretty significant downside nowadays. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and, like, the interesting thing is that, like, sure, you can delve into the cover hex, right? Because mm-hmm. the objectives start face up. But then if you're a warband that wants to hold objectives, because you're staggered, you can't delve back. Right. So, that's so that's the that's, that's an even bigger thing to consider, I think, at this point.
1: It's weird. Now, it is flip. So if you have flip tech, uh, cards that allow you to flip or upgrades that allow you to flip, um, without delving, you know, there is that as a consideration. Um, I know order has that one that allows you to, to, uh, flip two objectives near you. Um, so maybe there's like some card combos that make it easier. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's in a weird spot right now. Um, I'm going to still sleeve it because I think there's enough factions that I play that it's good for but I would definitely understand if people left it now. How about you? Sleeve it or leave it? Yeah. Ugh, dude, I think I'm going
0: to leave it. Yeah. I think I think I'm convinced to the point where it's not worth a restricted slot. Unless you- I'm in a warband that just really really needs glory and is fairly defensible like say Mournflight, but even then, I don't like the fact that my opponent is getting a reroll.
1: But like you said, also, I mean, depending on the turn and depending on the board state, Mournflight like to hold objectives because they have a hold more than opponents, and if you're delving, that's going to make that harder. So, depends on what cards are in your hand at the time, I guess. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm going to leave it. that's crazy Mm -hmm. as that sounds.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing that makes me lean towards the sleeve it side is that our search pool is still not amazing. Uh, there's some good ones in the two new rivals decks. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still not the search pool that it has been in the past. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Um, that's true. But I think if you're playing one of the newer warbands, and I mean, like Beast Graven onwards, I think you can find enough decent surges. excuse yeah, me to, true. um, to really kind of just make whatever you need to work, I think. So, cool. Yeah. Um, didn't think we we're going to do a sleeve or leave it for that card, but I think the current changes to the game merit that conversation. And I'm glad that it was a thoughtful yet concise conversation. And yeah. I always like when we disagree on this stuff because <laughs> I think it makes the other person think about the other person's opinion a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And it just shows that the game is complicated enough that there are multiple ways to view cards.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, So, now we're going to jump to Inspiration Strikes. So, this is where one of us will alternate on the podcast every episode that we do these where Mm -hmm. we're going to have the opportunity to inspire you, whether that's through a motivational speech, through a rant, or just a meandering of words. The idea is that we have one minute fully uninterrupted to say whatever we want to say about Warhammer Underworlds, but there is a hard cutoff at a minute. And so last episode, um, Zach did our very first Inspiration Strikes, where he talked about why you should play a Death War dance, um, which mm-hmm. is very apt considering the topic today. And so now it is my turn. So, Zach, do you have your timer ready? I've got a timer right here, actually. All right, well, you tell me right. when to go. Ready, set, and go. So my topic today is going to be talking about positivity. I feel like there's been a general lack of positivity that's happening in the online communities. And I really think that when there's a new season coming out and there are new players attracted to the game, we need to be more positive and we need to be more welcoming. And we need to just be, you know, generally more optimistic about the changes. Um, One of the people that I was speaking to was like, I don't like any of these changes because none of the warbands interest me. And I'm like, okay, well, what about the cool rules? Oh, they don't do it for me either. I'm like, well, what about your community? And it's like... Oh, my whole country doesn't like it. And I'm like, how do you know? You're just one person, right? Like, let's be positive, let's be supportive of each other, and let's grow our community. And I really think that we could, you know, use some of that because I think that's the best way that we're gonna show everyone that we have the best on the world's community out there. Sorry, just gaming community in general, and how we can grow the community to be as large and as massive as it needs to be and get back to those older numbers. Um Additionally, you know, when people are coming in and asking for questions, let's answer them. Let's be positive.
1: I I mean, this is stuff that's been weighing on my mind as well. Um, obviously, if you've been in any of the online communities that we've been part of, uh, this has been a discussion that's been had. But um, I agree. I think we should just be. I don't think it's good to just, you know, blindly be happy and like ignore any downsides, but. It's better to take a positive approach than a purely negative approach. So I, I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, and I will say that's definitely a lot more stressful than I thought it was going to be. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But um, I'll be in the
1: hot seat next time. So uh, we'll, that's we'll, right. I'll have to prepare something.
0: Yeah, like I, I think you're right. Like you should never be blindly supportive or blindly optimistic. But I think conversely, what we've seen is just blind aggression or disagreement or concern. And, you know, like, yes, change happens. No, the sky is not falling. No, you know, like, even though it may seem like it, like, every time we've had a new season with new rules changes, we've seen people react negatively. And then those same people enjoy and comment on how much they love those new rules changes. So, maybe we should all just take a seat back and just say, let's just see where this goes. Hopefully, it's enjoyable. And I think the more that we can promote that positivity the more people, especially newer players, are going to join these communities and not be afraid to ask questions, which is super exciting. Um, and I really yeah. do believe Narl World is the season. Gnar Wood is the season in which we're going to see a lot of new players um, join the organization.
1: Absolutely. I think we will see a lot of new people just based on a number of reasons. So, yeah, I think just welcoming them and making people not feel left out or, you know, scared to join is just – it's a net positive for everyone.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So, hopefully, my inspiration strike, my very first one, struck some sort of inspiration and resonated with you. Um, and if you disagree, let us know. And if you agree, let us know. We love talking to you uh, and debating. That's something that we like to do as well. Um, yeah. But now <clears> – <throat> Off to the Sons of Velmorn, the first Death Warband in the new season of Warhammer Underworlds, the Gnarlwood. Very exciting, very ominous, very cool looking miniatures, mm-hmm. and uh, probably OP because Death Warbands are always really
1: good. Yeah, we'll see with this one.
0: <laughs> no spoilers yet. So no spoilers. let's let's start with the lore. Now, because this is a core box Warband. They get a little bit more lore than the rest of the warbands, but that's totally mm-hmm. okay because you're going to listen to it and hopefully you're going to enjoy it. So, many centuries ago, when the Narwood had not yet expanded to its current size, there were ancient kingdoms that endured upon its threshold, keeping the Gnarlokes at bay with fire and sword. One such people dwelt within the proud fortress city of Centurion under the wise leadership of King Morlock Velmorn. For many years, King Velmorn guided his people in prosperity and peace, but this was not to last. The age of chaos dawned, and tribes of reaving chaos worshippers swept across Thondia, burning and despoiling. Against the advances of the Narwood, Centerion could endure, but this new menace proved too much for the proud kingdom. In desperation, King Velmorn sought a means of preserving his bloodline for his dynasty seemed doomed to oblivion. Alongside his warrior sons, Valmorn ventured forth in search of the fabled Tyrant's Crown, an artifact that lay within the haunted spire known as Deadfang's Tower, and was said to grant the wearer powers over life and death. Valmorn claimed his prize, but it was not what he believed. The Tyrant's Crown was a creation of vile death mages, and though its dominating power over the living was indeed formidable, it was terribly cursed. As soon as Velmorn placed it atop his head, the life was blasted from his body, and he was transformed into a white king. His sons were also slain by that rush of necromantic magic, only to rise again as undead knights. The dynasty of Velmorn would indeed endure for eternity, though its legacy was sealed in the darkest manner imaginable. Filled with resolve even in death, King Velmoren still wages a bitter war to defend his shattered domain, not only against the continued intrusions of the Narwood, but against any living being that dares to trespass upon his lands. Those with the audacity to do so find their minds overwhelmed by the White King's cursed crown, and soon turn their blades against allies and comrades. Filled with bitterness and regret, the Velmorn sons are nonetheless impelled to fight at their father's side. Falk, Helmar, Thane, and the towering Sir Jedron Falseborn, the former illegitimate heir of Velmorn, now share the same tragic fate
1: as his true blooded kin. Zach, what do you think about this lore, man? So, the thing I really love about this is that it's not just. Nagash. So many times the Death War bands is just like these guys are servants of Nagash, or like these guys are like you know you know thralls to his will. You have really fleshed out these characters, you know, given them what they're fighting for, what their background is. Like you can look at them now after you read that lore. You can look at the minis and be like, oh yeah, I totally see where that's coming from. or I totally see why these guys look the way they do, or like what the bases are about, or you know why why these specific models are together uh, and it's not just um it, it's not just a port of some unit from age of sigmar that's given a reason to be there it's kind of like you know it, it, they feel like a character or at least the king does maybe his sons are a little uh a little bit less fleshed out than he is but um i think it's uh it, it's really nice to see the sort of thing kind of being built up in the newer seasons
0: yeah i, I completely agree and, and honestly it's a bit tragic isn't it like Mm-hmm. This man was just trying to protect his people and his kingdom and selfishly, like many kings of, of of you know, our own modern history are just trying to preserve their bloodline so they can endure, right? Humanity, yeah, what humanity does endure against the face of uh, adversity. And uh, he just tried to find every way he could to defend himself and his people. And unfortunately, it led him down this path of damnation, if you will. And that, yeah, you were able to stop the problem. You were able to defend your people. But now you've cursed your family. Like, your bloodline endures, but in, like, the worst way possible, it's like a monkey's paw, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, And it's, um, you know, it it leaves a lot of gray morality there. Like, they're not, you know, a lot of times with death, it's usually just, like, you know, mindless skeletons that want to kill or zombies that want to eat your brain or, like, you know... Vampires want to feed on you, yeah. Vampires want to feed on you or turn you into thralls. Like, you know, these, these... like you said, it's tragic and it, it kind of makes them uh, almost anti-heroes in a way or at least in their own story.
0: Yeah, like you're not – yeah, you're exactly right. Like they – to this day, they're just doing what they think is best and mm-hmm. and protecting their kingdom that no longer exists but it kind of does which, um, you know, gives it more character. And I like how they even threw in that like the big one, the taller one is, mm-hmm. is Bastard. Right, it's his yeah. illegitimate son that he raised and trained, but never had perhaps maybe a shot at you know being king, you know succeeding him, and so right. Um, and now you know, and you'll see through the cards that the sibling rivalry that the true sons might have had it doesn't matter now because their dad will eternally be king. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of sad as well. And and I wish you know back in the day we used to like give creative names to our episodes. But we decided to change that because we wanted it to be easily accessible for newer players to kind of mm-hmm. look for what they were wanting to to listen about. But if I could give this episode a different name, I would name it Eternal Daddy Issues. That's a good one. Not Game of Bones. Game of Bones is a good one. I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. But Eternal Daddy Issues is, is I think something maybe- it is also good, yeah. Yeah. A little relevant nowadays. So, yeah, True. here we go. So we're going to get into um, the fighters, the objectives, the gambits, and the upgrades. And if you've heard one of these before, um, Zach and I are going to alternate. And uh, we'll give each other the first chance to comment before we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're new, that's kind of how we do things. So here we go. We're going to start with King Morlock Velmorn. He has the leader trait. He is part of Grand Alliance Death. He has a movement of three. A defense of one block, four wounds, which is pretty solid. He's got the Baleful Tomb Blade, a range one, two smash, two damage attack with Grievous one, which is pretty exciting. Um, And he has a deadly command reaction. After this fighter's activation, give this fighter one command counter. While this fighter has one or more command counters, it is supporting each friendly Grave Guard, which are his legitimate sons, Um, clear these counters at the end of the action phase. Now, King Morlock velmorn inspires when an attack action results in a critical hit, if this fighter was the attacker or supported the attacker. Important to keep that distinction in mind because of the deadly command reaction. When velmorn inspires, he goes to two block, he does three damage, retains Grievous One, but everything else remains the same. Zach, as our resident death expert, what do we think about Kill Morlock King Morlock of Elmorn?
1: Stat-wise he's pretty solid. I mean, death leaders tend to be pretty good uh in general. Um Range 1 is not the move 3 range 1 is, you know, it's it's slow, but they are a grave guard uh, or he's a white king. They're meant to be slow. Um the weapon is pretty good. I mean, it's kind of your standard two hammer, two damage with an upside is kind of your standard good uh, attack. Uh, and then it inspires to a really good attack. You know, there's potential for two hammer, three damage, grievous one to potentially be four damage, especially if you get some plus dice in there for rerolls. Uh, and he inspires to two shields, uh, two block. It's a really solid stat line. Yeah. I think he's, he's easily a very good fighter by himself. Um, the deadly command is something that we're going to just have to keep in mind the entire time, right? The fact that supports will be very reasonably easily gotten for the entire team, basically the entire game with the caveat that like deadly commands actually a little harder to get off than you might think. Cause it's like, Oh, after this fires activation, give him a command counter. But like, what are you doing in that first activation? If you want to do this first activation every round, do you just want to move and then stand there giving out supports? Sometimes that's okay. If you move on to like an objective or into a, you know, centralized defensible location where you can use as good stat line, mm-hmm. but sometimes like just moving or just going on guard is not really a good use of your activation. And you don't really want to charge because you don't want to charge with your best fighter first. And he is probably one of your better fighters in the team. So it's going to be weird. Like you're going to really have to think about your setup and your first turn because you want to go first with him, but you don't want it to be a wasted turn at the same time. Um, Yeah, I think it's interesting. He's going to make people really think about how to use him, whether you use him aggressively, whether you use him in the support aspect, whether you use him to hold objectives. Like all of these things are viable, but all of them will necessitate a little bit of a different playstyle on your part.
0: Yeah, I, co- I completely agree with, uh, in fact, almost everything you've said here. In fact, everything really, it's <laughs> great fighter, great stats. Um, I think the conundrum with Deadly Command is, is, I think, intended, right? Like it's an amazing ability. It's incredible. Like it is a global supporting attack. There's no range on it. You just get it. But you're right. Like there is a choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think what we're going to see is early on, you're probably not going to get the benefits of Deadly Command because you're probably going to use him last or maybe third. Um, You might not even move him at all. But I think what's going to be really beneficial is that maybe you end the first turn with a charge and then you start the second round with an attack. Then you get the command. And then maybe you can make your other fighters more um, accurate because of that support. Now, that being said... There is that risk versus reward, which you've said earlier, because if you're putting him in a situation where he, you know, activates earlier on in the round, if not first activation, especially if it's in combat, it gives your opponent the opportunity to kill him, which removes the deadly command reaction completely.
1: Right? Right. So, I think if you can get him inspired early, like, say say you move him into a semi-aggressive position where he is either getting support or is like supporting another fighter that's going to um attack like counterattack. Uh you'd like aggressively position him where he's in a good spot, then second activation you attack with somebody or attack with him and get support and get uh uh and then get your inspiration off. Then he's like two block in the middle of the board, I think that's pretty good going into turn two. But yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, I think the hard part with inspirations like these, and like we've seen that with condemners mm-hmm. is like getting a critical hit is is not something you can rely on
1: it's not no um you know, like i've there i've spent a whole plenty of plus there are plenty of plus dice cards in the game right now but it's um it's swingy for sure you can't control it right like i've, I've yeah. spent whole games
0: trying to get you know headshot with profiteers like it just sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't me. happen you know yeah. And so, that's kind of where I find a bit of concern um, because if it was more manageable or more, I guess you could control it more, then I think we'd be able to, you know, maybe play him a bit more aggressively. But this also says that support of the attacker, I mean, again, keep in mind that you don't necessarily have to have the command token on, counter on, for him to support. He can also support fighters mm-hmm. naturally and in the, in the way that other fighters support each other. So, yeah. Um, very interesting fighter. And, and again, is something that you mentioned that we're going to have to keep in mind throughout the course of the review here. So, the next fighter we see here is Helmar the Hewer. Now, he has the keyword Graveguard. And this is, uh, I guess, Velmorn's first son because the way they were ordered, you'll see who's first, second, third, and fourth. Um, mm-hmm. Helmar is, has a movement of three, one block and three wounds. He's got a white axe, which is range 1, 2 fury, 1 damage with Grievous. And he's got the same Inspire as his daddy. And he's got an ability called Sibling Rivalry. Reaction after the final power step of the round, Inspire 1 friendly fighter that has this ability. When Helmar is Inspired, he retains most of his stats the same, but his white axe is now Three fury and deals two damage, and has cleave, and on a crit, has the ability called shield up. If you roll a crit when making this attack action, you can give this fighter one guard token. And a little bit of lore about Helmar the mighty deeds of Helmar the Hewer were once spoken of in every tavern in Centarion. Those glories are long forgotten. Now, Helmar simply marches and kills at his king's command.
1: Um, We can talk about the next fighter because they're almost identical, unless you just want to do one at a time.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, We'll jump to Marshall Falk Velmorn, who has the exact same stats as his Graveguard buddy, his brother, on his uninspired side. When he inspires, he also has the exact same attack action. Three Fury, two damage on a crit, shield up. Um, He does not have Cleave though, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, and I, I misspoke earlier. It looks like Fulk is the firstborn son of Elmorn, commander of the armies and heir to the throne of Centurion. In a grim irony, he is doomed to await a crowning that will never happen. <laughs> um, and then we'll talk about the last Graveguard as well. This is Thane, fourth and last. He also has the Graveguard keyword, similar stats. Um, his Great White Blade is a little bit different. It's a range 1, 2 Fury, 2 damage. His brothers are one damage off the jump, and he has the trip special rule. Same inspire, but if he rolls a crit, he can stagger the target. He also has sibling rivalry. And then on his um, inspired side, his white blade stays the same. No, it goes to three fury, two damage, which it was previously two fury, two damage. And he gains a scything ability, which is range one, three fury, one damage with a crit on Grievous. Um, Scything Greatblade does not have the trip ability, but Great Whiteblade retains the trip ability. Least favorite of Velmorn's progeny is his youngest son, Thane. Even in death, the fourth and last is a subject to the derision of his king and could do nothing but take his frustrated rage out upon the living. So, those are the three, um, Graveguard that are in the warband, if you will.
1: So, Zach, why don't you give us your collective thoughts? Um, it's a little disappointing how bad they are on their front side. Uh, two mm. Fury is just not, especially two Fury one damage is just not what you want to see. I mean, they have Grievous one, and you're probably always going to be getting support from uh, the king, right? Um, but it's just kind of um, not exciting. Now, mm. they, the reaction to Inspire at the end of the round is nice, because if you don't roll any crits, you're at least getting one guy Inspired per round that's not bad as long as they're not all getting wiped. Right. Um, the flip, their flip sides are all pretty fine. I mean, three, three, two damage with an upside is it, it's pretty good. It's fine. Um, I would have rather seen something more interesting than just getting a guard token on the crit for, uh, for the first two with the shields. I find Thane a little bit more interesting, which is funny because he's like the fourth and last. He's kind of the, uh, the lesser of everybody, but his front the right of the litter, if you will. He's the runt of the litter, but his front side is better, and his backside is also his uh, inspired side is also better. Yeah. Um. So I think Thane is kind of going to be your go-to in a lot of cases, just because he doesn't have to crit for that two damage, uh, and if he does crit, you are getting, you know, a setup with his trip ability, um. Yeah, these these guys, you can see they all really want Velmorn to have his command token out. Because if they don't, 2 Fury's bad. If he's, you know, if he's um, uh, got his command token up, they're effectively 2 Smash. You know, 2 Fury with a support is 2 Smash. And at that point, it's like, it's a, it's an okay attack. You know, 2 Smash 1 damage is not amazing, but at least it's reliable. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it, it's hard to see what the early game plan is with these guys because the early game feels, so far, a bit on the unreliable side, let's say.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think, like, yeah, I agree Thane is the best, right? You know, Trip is nice. It can help set up attacking with your other fighters. So, giving a reroll on 2 Fury makes it not too bad of an attack. Um, yeah. Two Fury to begin with is a very difficult attack, even with supporting attacks. You know, I guess with the support, it makes you, what, a two smash attack? Because then you have two sides and a crit. So then it's yeah. really not that bad. But ultimately, you're right. That conundrum presents itself again is when is Valmont going to attack. Um, that being said, I think it's kind of, yeah, one damage is not very exciting. But I think when you're hitting on two Fury, you're crit fishing anyways. And so, I think most times when you do hit, you're going to be doing two damage, right? Yeah, that's true. So, I think that kind of offsets a little bit. I think the sibling rivalry reaction is pretty powerful. Like, I think ironically, even though Falk and Helmar are his first two born sons, you kind of maybe bait them because you want Thane to get that inspiration at the end of the round one so that he has a three fury, two damage attack that staggers on a crit which is pretty solid. Um, and then you can really bump up that scything attack if you need to because it has Grievous one as well. I mean, this is the Grievous Warband, right? So, that's what it looks like here. Um, but again, I really like Shield Up. It makes them a little bit more defensible because they've all got three wounds.
1: But I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's another side on the die. It adds up. Mm-hmm. But um, I think out of all three, ironically, Marshall Falk which is the firstborn son is the worst of the three because he doesn't Uh, have cleave.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't get anything out of it, right? Like he doesn't get, um, he doesn't get cleave. He doesn't get the, the siding. It's just kind of, he's just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, him and him and
0: Helmar are actually identical except Helmar has cleave inspired because he has an ax and it makes it a little bit different.
1: So, yeah, well, is what it is. I mean, cleave is also not like, if you're three fury, you're generally fishing, like you said, fishing for crits and you're getting, uh, supports most of the time. So like cleave is nice, but it's not like a must have, it's not like a a huge deal breaker, but yeah, it is something that, uh, that Falk doesn't get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it might matter in
0: some games and it'll matter not in, in, in some as well. Yeah. Yeah. But here, I think we come to my favorite fighter in the warband, and quite possibly yours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir Jedrin Falseborn. Sir Jedrin is Velmoren's illegitimate son and bodyguard. Any foe that seeks to strike his master down, no matter how large, is dispatched with a brutal efficiency. So, Jedrin has a move of three, one block, and five wounds. He's got a great tomb blade. Um, range one, two fury, three damage, aka Gristlewell. Um, he has the same exact inspire as the rest of his family, and when Sir Jedrin inspires, one thing to note: he does not have the sibling rivalry rule. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a lot of sense. He was never in contention to be a ruler. He's simply happy that his dad kept them around, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so um, his great tomb blade inspires to uh, to smash three damage, which is significantly more. Um, attractive and accurate. He also has the slayer, the slayer special rule. You can reroll one dice in the attack rolls of this fighter's attack actions that target a large fighter. I think that's a really neat addition. I really like that. Um, and then we have Sleepless Sentinel. While this fighter is adjacent to a friendly fighter, this fighter is supporting that fighter. So doesn't necessarily have to be adjacent to the enemy fighter. He can just stand next to one of his family members and provide that support, which you know kind of helps with the Inspire. So, Zach, what do you think about our Sir Jedrin?
1: Yeah, i I think he is he's he's a really solid piece. I mean, five wounds is always something to look for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wish he had the Sleepless Sentinel on his front side. It would make him more interesting in the early game. Um, I it probably would be too overpowered in the early game because all you do is get like a a command token, put this guy next to somebody and suddenly you got full supports on everybody. Yeah. Um, probably would have been too good, but I think it would have brought a little bit of interest as it is. You do want to get this guy inspired, right? Like two fury, three damage. Like you said, that's gristle. Well attack. We've seen that a couple other times. Um, someone else has this attack that I'm blanking on right now. Um, but you do want to get that to two smash and you want to get the rerolls, and you want to get all the other stuff. But five wounds means you can just kind of like put this guy out front and while he's not easily inspiring or getting your other guys inspired, he is going to be able to take a hit and he is going to be able to counterpunch reasonably well. Um, I think if you look at it in totality, you're just very uh, unreliable. Like I said before, early on, mostly everybody's too fury. Uh, going to kind of to smash if the command token is up. Um, this guy doesn't get the benefit of the command token because he's not a grave guard. Uh, but you can try to make his attack multiple times. You can fish for those crits. You can you know play cards that give you plus dice to try to make his front side a little bit more interesting. Um, but yeah, it's uh, he's going to be hard to use. He gets way more interesting once he inspires. Yeah. But whether you're going to want to devote resources to make that happen or not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be a warband that is quite interestingly, like, unfortunately, I guess, you're going to live and die by the dice. Yeah. Definitely. And it's it's not so, you know, hopefully your opponent doesn't roll. It's more so, am I getting those crits? Um but again, this Warband wants to roll crits. it gets double the benefit because most attacks have, you know, critical uh, bonuses, like whether it's trip mm-hmm. or Shield Up or Grievous. Right. So, I think when you do roll it, it you double down on it. So, yeah, I think you're right, Zach. You're going to want to invest in upgrades and additional dice. And, you know, I think Determined Effort is actually a great card for this Warband because it just makes, you know, attacks a little bit more reliable. Yeah. Yeah, for but. sure. In regards to Mr. Falseborn over here, I definitely think he's – I guess he's not the best fighter uninspired, but once inspired, like, I can see him help you carry games.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's definitely – he feels like a swingy piece, right? Like, if he gets inspired early – like, if you get this guy to just crit on his first attack and then suddenly he's inspired with all these extra stuff and he's five wounds and he's got a good attack, he's going to, like – You're going to love to see that, but if he stays uninspired all game and just kind of whiffs on his two fury attack, it's not going to feel as good. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: But um, overall, I think you have two strong pieces with Jedrin and Valmorn, Mm -hmm. with Thane being a solid third fighter. Yes. So, it's not like you don't have choices. You know, and it's not like you you don't know which fighters your opponent might go for early on to cripple your game plan. So, that's mm-hmm. at least good to know.
1: Yeah. So, in totality, looking at these, um, like I said, it's a lot of unreliable, but the defenses are, like, pretty good. You know, three wounds on a shield is not amazing, but you got three of them. You have a five-wound fighter. Your leader goes to two block eventually, probably. Um they will stick around. I am kind of thinking, and, you know, we, we will get to their Rivals deck. I am kind of thinking this might be a faction that wants to put weapons in their deck because their baseline attacks are just not great. But if you throw in Phantom Fists, now you have that good defensive stat line or relatively good defensive stat line with a better weapon that rolls more dice. Mm-hmm. Um, or like uh, the Curse of Boarding Pike or the Curse Cutlass, which are each rolling four dice on swords and can usually get you a crit for your inspired condition. Um, So it might be something to consider just based off these stat lines. Yeah, I think it's a great shout. Um, Illusion weapons are great for
0: this warband early on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, uh, Zach, favorite fighter?
1: Oh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Thane just because I think I mean, I really do like Sir Jedron, like you were saying. But I think Thane has the most interest just because he's a little bit more reliable with the command token early on. He can do some setup if you do roll those crits. He can get that sibling rivalry fast Inspire. So I think he kind of ends up being a solid support piece that you're going to want to keep. He's like somewhere between support and aggro that you do want to keep around and keep alive.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think I like Thane a lot. Um but he's I'm not going to pick him for the sake of this conversation, but sure. I do agree that he is the the most interesting at first. Um I also felt bad for him cuz he probably gets picked last for dodgeball too. Um
1: <laughs> he's the runt.
0: But uh, my favorite fighter is probably going to be King Velmoren actually. Um Yeah, it's a good pick because you know, I think the Deadly Command is is so interesting to me. You know, it's like it's a Risk versus reward in the most brutal sense, I think. In the most obvious sense, it's like, do I want supports to make my fighters hit harder but risk my leader or do I want to have crappy attacks early on to protect my leader but then I'm losing out on the Warband Synergy, right? I think I find that to be interesting and I think that once he's inspired, he's, he's pretty hard to take down. Mm, yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Let's jump to the objectives then, Zach
1: want to kick us up? Yeah, let's get started. So, first we've got Absolute Monarch. This is a one glory card. Surge. Score this immediately after an activation if the friendly, lead- your friendly leader is the only surviving friendly leader.
0: Yeah, this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, killing the enemy leader is one thing. Killing the enemy leader and having your leader alive is, I think, significantly more difficult. And so, while I like the fact that this is a surge, I struggle with the fact that This is something that you most likely cannot rely on given the fact that as we've mentioned many times over across all of our content, enemy fighters are probably the best fighters in most warbands and often very well protected as well.
1: So, it's going to be unfortunately a pass. Yeah, it's a bit hard. Killing leaders is usually a pretty difficult one to to go for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next, we've got clinical efficiency. This is a surge hybrid. Scored this immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action that took a target out of action, if it dealt precisely enough action damage to take the target out of action, or it resulted in a critical hit. This is an excellent card. Mm-hmm. Um
0: dealing the precise amount of damage to take anyone out has been a staple since Shadespire first season. Um I believe that card was restricted at one point as well. And yes, while it was. It's not restricted anymore and we do see this pop up a lot. I think it's, it's something that's very doable. Um, you might actually just score both options at the same time because the second option is one that you want to follow with your game plan. Your warband revolves around getting crits. You might as well get rewarded um, for doing that. But I like the fact that you're not punished as well because if it was just crits, you could be in a really tough game whereas the first action allows you some flexibility, which makes the card significantly better, um, is a great card for me.
1: Yeah, and it is worth noting that you do have good coverage of every damage amount. I mean, you have one, two, three on Jedrin or your leader inspired, or three on your leader, if you roll a crit on uh, his Grievous side, uh, which will also prop the, the critical hit portion of it as well. So you do have a lot of ways to hit each of those damage brackets for hitting the precisely enough damage so it's um it's, it yeah it's i agree it's just good all around it's a yeah. for me uh and you just want to be rolling crits anyway so good good stuff mm-hmm. uh next we've got dispassionate slaughter score this in an end phase if there are more enemy fighters out of action than there are surviving enemy fighters to glory
0: yeah, these cards are kind of tough. Um, I think we see these a lot in core box warbands because I think they're trying to teach players fundamentals and and rewarding you for be able to be aggressive or or not. Um, killing more than half effectively is what this says can be a challenge um, because if you're fighting a seven fighter warband, that means you have to kill four of them, and if you're fighting a three fighter warband, you have to kill two of them, which can be hard. Um, and especially with the lack of initial damage output and consistent
1: accuracy in your warband, I think this might be one of the harder ones to score. Yeah. I mean, it's also extremely meta-dependent, right? Like, this is just extremely hard to score against uh, swarm warbands in general, even if your attacks were really reliable or you were packed with weapons. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Hereditary Claims is our next card. Score this in an end phase if your warband holds two or more objectives and one or more of those objectives is not in your territory to glory. Great card. Um, It's
0: very easy to hold an objective in your territory. Um, It's also significantly easier than you think to hold an objective in no man's land. It doesn't have to be necessarily enemy territory, but you can finagle it to where you can maybe like get a fighter to charge onto an objective at the end of the round and hopefully keep them on there via cards as well. Um, I think this is an excellent card. Can help you with some early seed glory to maybe help you put on upgrades or accuracy or damage to get your warband to do what they need to do, which is hopefully kill the enemy team and roll crits.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially now with the change to move tokens, you know, it does not hurt to move on to an objective in enemy territory or no man's land, get punched off. And if you survive, you just move back on. Yep. You know, it's uh, it is pretty nice. And two glory, great. Uh, next, we've got House Eternal. This is a Surge. Score this immediately after you give a friendly fighter a raise counter.
0: Yeah, so as you notice on the fighter cards, there's no innate way off the fighter to raise, but there is power card support in this deck to give fighter raise counters. And in championship format, there is um, ways in which you can support that as well mm-hmm. um, through the Grand Alliance death cards. Um, from a nemesis perspective, um, I still think there's enough synergy in your deck to where you can score this, but it's not as reliable. But overall, I like this card and it uh, it can be scored in theory, you know, shortly after the power phase, which is nice.
1: Yeah. Uh, only different, only issue being that if Hexbane busts out those cold iron nails, <laughs> but uh, that, that's mm, just one matchup. Uh,
0: I will say that they're they're probably going to be a very popular warband cuz they're really strong right now. Yes. And so this actually might be might be tough actually given that meta consideration, but from a Nemesis and Rivals perspective, I think you're still fine.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Um then we've got inevitability itself. Duel score this in an end phase if there are one or fewer surviving enemy fighters, so tabled or almost tabled, and there are two or more surviving friendly fighters, three glory. Yeah, I think this card has challenges for all the reasons we mentioned about
0: dispassionate slaughter. Mm -hmm. Very hard to do. Your fighters aren't necessarily the best at killing things, meta-dependent as you said. So, unfortunately, um, a
1: card that I'm not going to rate very highly. Yeah. I mean, you're just not killing everything. Uh, Then we have Martial Lord. This is a surge. Score this immediately after a friendly leader's attack action that takes the target out of action. One glory. Kill something with a
0: Yeah. So, I like that this card exists. And oftentimes when you see Warbench with this kind of card, it's for a good reason. Your leader is good. But Mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword in, in many cases because... If your leader goes down early, which in Death War Bands, your leader is very much often a target, then you lose out on two glory because the kill glory and the objective glory itself. So, it's it's something that you really have to consider. I think if you're wanting to be a bit more cautious with Velmorn, ironically, then you have a better chance of scoring an aggressive card that you want to add, you know, because you have to make a uh, a kill with him. Mm-hmm. But I also can think that you can hard mulligan for this, be aggressive with Velmorn and get it done. I'm not saying it's the best surge in the deck, but I certainly think it's very attainable if you're cautious.
1: Yeah, and you can sort of I don't want to say force this, but you know, you can make late charges with your leader. Like if you play round one very slowly, you just kinda like guard with Fellmorn, get the command counter up let your opponent fight, charge with like Thane and maybe one of the other Graveguard, and then charge with him as your last one. You can kind of make this relatively reliable, but I don't know. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we have Morbid Majesty. Now, this is a score this in an end phase. If three or more surviving friendly fighters are inspired to glory, this one's uh
0: is an interesting one for me because I actually don't believe that unless you roll very unlikely that you're going to be able to even score this in round 1 and I kind of like all of my glory to be able to be scoreable throughout the the game um because you're going to get sibling rivalry so sure you can have one inspired at the end of round 1 but the likelihood of you rolling two crits during two attack actions or more
1: but is is but, unlikely but you don't need to have two crits because you can you get sibling rivalry, so you only need two or more inspired. yeah if you first activation uh, command token and then mm-hmm. make three charges with your graveguard as long as one of them crits, both the graveguard and your leader get inspired and then you sibling rivalry another one. so you would have three off of a single crit as long as they're not dead Sure I mean I mean I understand how that works. I think it's yeah. unlikely. I think it's not reliable
0: <laughs> and I don't think you can count for it because you have to ro- you have to rely on rolling a crit. Which, as we know, just almost never happens. Sometimes,
1: yeah. It, I mean, it, you're right. It is very dice dependent. I mean, on average, dice three three fighters charging. If all three of them are getting to attack, you should get a crit. Sure, but so Six so maybe let's just say,
0: like best case scenario, the crit that you get is the one where Velmon is supporting it, right? Right. You still inspire two, but you don't get civil rivalry sibling rivalry until the end of the round. So a, a, again, I think in most scenarios you're not scoring this until end of round 3 or round 2. I I just don't think you're going to get this in round 1. I, I mean And it, if you yeah. do then you're winning the game. Because you broke well, it,
1: crits. It, it's it's an end face curse, right? So you would get sibling rivalry before this every time.
0: Okay, sure, but it, I I just think it's very unlikely.
1: Yeah, no, no. I I get it. Yeah, it's I agree. It's it is dicey. But I think in this faction where you have to fish for dice and it's like, it's a core concept of it. I think you might as well just include it anyway, but we'll see what other two glory end phase. If this was a one glory, I'd be like, no, never. But the fact that it's two is making me kind of fight for. It.
0: I, no. And, and I agree, but like, yeah. I, I guess I'm saying is like, you can't fight for crits.
1: Um, you can pack your deck with plus one dice cards and you can just, multi-charge every single time i mean there there are some ways but it's you're right it's, it's it's not something you can reliably do
0: yeah and and i guess the thing is that i like reliable cards and while this is not a bad card and i, mm-hmm. I can see why you find appeal in it i do not think it's a reliable one yeah yeah for sure
1: We'll we'll, we'll leave that as a as a maybe is a is a no but maybe sometimes card uh, but next we've got Protected Inheritance. Uh, this is a duel. Score this in an end phase if your warband holds one or more objectives in your territory and two or more enemy fighters are out of action to glory.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting one because like it's weird because I like it more than the other two ones that require kills. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like it's a meta dependent card. Like if you're fighting crushes, it's hard. If you're fighting rippers, it's hard. If you're fighting stormcast, it's hard. And I think we're going to see, you know, three-man warbands have a bit of a resurgence because of the new rules, right? Um, Right. Whether that is a consistent resurgence or it fades out very early, uh, we don't know. But I think out of all three of the cars that require, thus far that we've talked about, that require enemy fighters being killed, I think this is the best. And it synergizes really well
1: um, with hereditary claims. Yeah, I mean two kills in general is just easier than half or all, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you will basically always... It It's kind of um, it's kind of path to victory sort of, kind of. Yeah, not it's really, adjacent. Path to victory. It's adjacent. adjacent. Yeah. yeah. Which is a good card, so it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Uh, next we have Regal Repost. This is Search Hybrid. Score this immediately after Friendly Fighters attack action that takes an enemy fighter out of action. If that friendly fighter has no charge tokens or that enemy fighter has one or more charge tokens.
0: Yeah. First thing I want to mention is that this is the fifth surge and um, there are six surges in this rivals deck, which changes the way that rivals decks were built because mm-hmm. in Harrow deep and Nether maze, they only had four surges.
1: Yes. So looks and like we're back that, to six a surges. Complete, <laughs> before that it was a complete toss up. Well, was dark? No, I think direchasm was. Well, uh, so dire Chasm, dire Chasm was okay. Beastgrave was a bit iffy. Beast Beastgrave was.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hawthorne has like eight surges. So. Yeah, it was a little silly. It's a little silly. Um, but yes, I'm kind of glad that we have a bit more surges in the game, which makes sense given the fact that they're pushing rivals and nemesis so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this card. Um, you can oftentimes kill you know enemy fighters who've charged into you. And I think with pushes or maybe at the beginning of rounds, like when your fighter has no charge tokens, you can attack and and keep in mind that you can just move and then swing as well. So, I think this is a fairly doable card. I think it's a complicated get a kill, which isn't bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it... I mean, it's not even that complicated. Like, Enemy Fighter has one more charge tokens. What is your opponent going to do not charge to deny this card? Like, you'll generally, like, sometimes you do want to ignore enemies that charge, but it doesn't hurt to kill a dude that's charged.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just see this as, and and it's exactly how the card is named, right? Like, they charge you, hopefully Mm. they miss. You didn't charge them first, so you just swing and kill them. Right, exactly.
1: Um, So, yeah, it's a a great surge in general. Yeah, uh, I'll like we'll talk we'll talk about the last surge here though. So this is another hybrid surge. Scroll this immediately after an, an attack action uh, that targeted a supported friendly fighter and failed or that was made by a supported friendly fighter and succeeded for one glory.
0: Yep. So this is very cool. It's called Relentless Unity. Okay. Oh, yeah, so made, the goodness. idea yeah, no worries. <laughs> um I, I kind of like it. I mean, the idea is that the warband wants you to be supporting each other, um, and so you know if someone attacks you and they failed because maybe the supporting fighter helped your defensive stats, great, um, or you just attacked a friendly fighter and because you're ganging up on them, you know you you made the attack action. And and the thing is, you don't need the kill on the second condition; it just needs to be successful, so you can just deal a damage and, and push through. Um, and I think with the command counters. And with the sentinel ability, I think this is something that is fairly um, doable, honestly.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, as long as you're using the command token, you will probably just score this over the course of the game. And if uh, Jetrin gets inspired, he will be supporting things easier. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is a card that just gets scored. So, I think this is potentially even their best uh, search so, that we've seen so far. Maybe. The other ones are – some of the other ones are pretty good too.
0: Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's
1: pretty – I mean, I don't know if it's the best, but I mean, it might be. I can't remember all of them, honestly. Well, I think most of the other ones are attack action that takes an enemy fighter yeah. out of atta- out of action. This one is just attack action yeah. that succeeds. Um or yeah, no, you're right. or one that enemy makes it succeed. So I generally I think those are better the just fails. because it's like or yeah, enemy enemy makes it yeah. fail. Yeah. Your I meant defense succeeds, but I'm like brain is in three places. Um
0: no, it's late. It's like Yeah. I like uh, it. You're right. I think I think this actually might be their best one. Yeah. Just trying to like just looking over the rest of them.
1: Uh and then then we have one last objective. This is an end phase. Uh, vying for favor score this in an end phase of each surviving friendly fighter has one or more move and or charge tokens one glory
0: for one glory it's not bad i mean i think effectively once you lose a fighter it's it's just really attainable I, i don't think it's exciting i think it can sometimes put you in awkward positions so for mm-hmm. that reason I maybe not put it in a championship deck or even my nemesis deck. But I think it's not a bad card. Like it's certainly scorable.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think that's a good way to talk about it. It's not exciting. I don't I generally don't like this just because one, a fighter basically has to be dead, or you have to have some sort of effect to give out a charge token to help with your own dudes, which isn't great. Um But also, it means that your leader is just doing a move action or aggressively charging as the first action. It it has anti-synergy with the command token, which we've already kind of talked to death. Um, And so, because of that anti-synergy, I'm like, eh, I don't really like it that much. Yeah. I mean, like,
0: there are going to be instances where you just score it, right? Because it just happened to work out that way. But yeah, okay. Well, that's all the objectives, right?
1: Yeah, that's all 12 objectives. So, like you said, this is a deck that has uh, six surges in it, um, which is nice to see. I mean, after a season of only a handful of surges, uh, and all of them, or for the most part, are pretty good. uh, What's your favorite objective out of this collection so far?
0: Yeah, so I'm not going to go surge here just because I know you like the surges. Yeah. Um, But I'm going to go with Hereditary Claims, I think. Very solid two glory card. Um it's very um doable to hold an objective and with one of them being in no man's land or the enemy's territory. So I think this see that not, happening.
1: Not that we've seen all of them, is this the only one that isn't like aggro focused? Every other one is like about a number of kills or getting a kill. Yeah. I guess it the is the fire one. But yeah.
0: Sure, yeah. And I think that has to do with – I think you're right. I mean, it might be the only one, and it, but it's mostly like a very flavorful thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this warband is trying to defend its territory by oh. killing, right? Um, you know, and so, I think Hereditary Claims is very artfully placed as a great way to get that early glory if you need to. Um, or help you to catch up to get back in the game also midway through, right? So, yeah, I
1: like that. What's your favorite? Um, I mean, I'll take the easy one. I'll just go with Relentless Unity, uh, the one we just talked about. I mean, I think it's ultimately very scorable. I like that it doesn't require you to fish for crits or set up weird situations. It's just kind of, the Warband is very much about supporting. There's so many ways to get supports or give supports. And it's just something you're going to do over time. So I, I think it's a good one.
0: Yeah, I think, I think upon looking upon all the cards again, I do agree with you that it's probably the best surge in the deck mm-hmm. and it might easily be the, because it's the best surge, it's the easiest card to score on the deck. So
1: yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. I agree with it. Come 100%. Do you, so you're liking the, uh, the objective deck?
1: Uh, I think it's not bad. So, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were So, so I'm, I'm, we're going to keep evaluating this as we talk about it. Um, these are a lot of cards that want kills and want hits and want stuff like that. And as we've talked about, this is a two-fury warband for the most part. Um, it's a little hard uh, to to say that those are like always going to be scored. Um, I like a lot of the surges. I think a lot of the end phases are a little bit... Uh, shall we say brave? <laughs> you yeah. know, like... Killing almost the entire enemy warband, killing you know more than are alive, uh, you know, killing two and holding an objective like th- those are, I would even consider them greedy for this warband. Um, but I like the surges a lot, and I like the end phase you picked a lot as well. The uh, territory um, hereditary claims, yeah. Um, so I think there's plenty here to build on in terms of championship or rivals, at the very least. Nemesis, yeah. Nemesis, sorry, yeah. No, no, no! You're good. Uh, it's a lot of formats now. <laughs> yeah, um, we've, we've I, gone from one to many.
0: Yeah, um, I completely agree. I think hereditary claims and protected inheritance are probably your two best end phase, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of pick your surges that you like, including relentless unity. And I think you've got a pretty good core. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I like it. From a rivals perspective, I will say that it's it leans more on the aggro side, as you say. Um, But that's not a bad thing. It'll teach teach a player to not rely on crits, (laughs) which is a valuable lesson in itself.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you can pack your deck full of, uh, I guess there's not a huge amount of crits in here, but the uh, clinical efficiency and and see how often you scored off that critical uh, effect. I do like that card, though. I think it is a good card, but uh, people will figure out quickly that fishing for crits is not going to, be as reliable as they might think.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I, I think you're going to see, I mean, we both, we've both all read the cards already, but I think what people are going to hear over the course of this episode is that it's not all doom and gloom because I think they have a great set of power cards to help them kind of do the things they want to do. We're going to talk about that now. So, we're going to start with deadly maneuver. It has the keyword maneuver, reaction. Play this during a friendly fighter's attack action after the declare action step. When you do, you can remove one command counter from your leader. Choose a friendly fighter other than the attacker and push the chosen fighter one hex or up to three hexes if you removed a command counter.
1: I think you're not going to be removing command counter a lot. Push three is amazing, obviously. Um... I think you'll be trying to set it up in such a way that you only need to push one Uh because of just because that command cap, like if you can push one and you get support off of it, then pl- that plus the command counter is double support. So it just seems better than push three. But regardless of how you use this or when you use it, whatever, like this is great. A reaction that pushes, ooh, sign me up. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it you're right. So, it's really interesting because now we kind of have to evaluate these cards in multiple formats. Um, I think in championship, outmanu- counter charge is better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you just take counter charge instead of this or you can double up. Well, um, and charge Nemesis
1: charge is an enemy fighter's attack. This is a friendly fighter's attack. So, you they have sure. different roles. That's true. That's
0: fair. That's very fair. Uh, yeah, that's fine. So, this is a – okay, you got me. Still, I think they're both pretty solid. <laughs> I wasn't uh, trying to get you, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It, no, no, no. Like, you – you. well, what, you did it enough to where it threw me off my, my train of thought. It's also like almost 1 o'clock here, as you know. True, so yes. I'm kind of like – my mind is kind of scattered. But I like the card. I like the fact that you can just get that one push and maybe it can push you um, – you know, maybe It doesn't say that you have to push the fighter adjacent to the attacker, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you can jump onto an objective. You can jump to support the fighter. You can pull a fighter out of harm's way. I think there will be instances where you might use the command counter. Command mm-hmm. counter. Because there are other ways to gain the command counter, as we'll see in a little bit. I don't know why I can't say command counter. I keep saying command counter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think in Nemesis and in Rivals, this card is going to be very
1: relevant to what you're trying to do and you're going to see it pop up a lot yeah and these types of effects are really good just in general and to have it in your faction for rivals for nemesis is it's great to see an an interesting note about this is that it doesn't um it's not really like a charge to support like you don't have it's just push a chosen fighter one hex or three hexes like you don't have to use this to um you don't have to use this to get a support. You can use this to just like reposition, get on an objective, kind of like a sidestep that also happens during a charge. So yeah, it's it, I think it's flexible and I think that's kind of the best thing you can ask out of uh, push cards. Yeah, I
0: agree. The next one is called Decapitating Blow Reaction. Play this during a friendly fighter's attack action after the declare action step. That attack action has cleave. If that attack action results in a critical hit and takes the target out of action, gain one additional spend glory point.
1: Cleave's not enough to make it interesting. Like, obviously, there's the whole second part about getting a, a, a get an additional glory point. But, like, you know, the first part of it, because you can't rely on the crit and you can't rely on the kill. Cleave's not enough for a card, so I'm not crazy about it. I don't think it's that good.
0: Yeah. I think from a championship and nemesis perspective, this card is probably going to get looked over Mm -hmm. if only because while cleave is nice, um, I think there are better ways to get cleave through upgrades Mm. and again, you can't rely on the critical nature of the attack to guarantee that additional glory point. Yeah. Um. From a rival's perspective, I think it's flavorful. I think it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to help you take down blocking fighters because cleave is rarer, I think, in that format.
1: I I suppose one thing I will say, uh, at least for rivals and nemesis, is that the glory ceilings and the glory floors are generally much lower in both of those formats. It might be worth running this in Nemesis just to try to fish and try to get an extra glory out of it. Like a one glory swing in Nemesis is much bigger than a one glory swing in Championship, so it might be worth kind of the the dice fishing, maybe, um, just to see if you can get that little bit of extra out of it. Agreed, but, but probably not. But you know, it's worth it. It's worth a thought at least. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: The next one is Father's Pride Reaction. Play this after a friendly fighter's successful attack action. Give your leader one command counter, then push your leader up to one hex.
1: You should already have a command counter at this point. I, I guess the. So. You can just use it as push your leader one hex as a reaction, which is like. You should just bring sidestep instead, unless, you know, we're talking nemesis, in which case, yeah, great, it's another push. Um, I guess the kind of use case here is if you don't want to activate your leader and you have this in hand, you can, for instance, charge with one of your fighters, hope that it's a success, get a command counter on your leader, um, and then do that instead of activating your leader first, but, um, yeah, in Nemesis, I think this has a lot of play just because it's another push. It's another reaction. Great. Um, in Championship, I don't see bringing this over any number of other pushes that are in the game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think from from the Nemesis perspective, I agree. I think it's a decent card. Um, I, I Actually, in Championship, I think I kind of like this too. Because while you can't rely on a crit and you can't rely on a successful attack, Mm-hmm. I think this kind of overcomes the conundrum we were discussing earlier in the episode where it's like, do we attack with Velmore and do we not? Well, now you don't have to. Maybe you can go in and jump an attack with someone else. Maybe you give them a dice modifier to make sure the attack is successful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to take anyone out of action. Um, it just, boom, make an attack. Boom, I got my command counter. Now the rest of my fighters hit harder, more accurate. Um, not harder, but they hit more accurately. Right. Which then allows me to maybe do some other things, right, and score cards. So,
1: I like yeah. it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's just um, it's a little bit more niche than otherwise could be.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of command counters, this one is uh, is a nifty one. Imperious will give your leader one command counter and one guard token.
1: That's a great card. I mean, this is just a. This is kind of what you want to do with him in the first activation anyway, right? Like a lot of times you're just going to guard, give him a command token. If he's already in a good position, doesn't need to reposition or wants to charge later, you're just going to guard and get the token. And now you can just do it on a card instead of as an activation. So yeah, it's a good card.
0: Yeah. Excellent card in all three formats. Yeah. Um, you're going to really want to play that one. Redoubled fervor. Reaction. Play this after a friendly grave guards failed attack action. When you do... You can remove one command counter from your leader. That Graveguard makes one attack action. If you remove the command counter plus one dice, the attack action
1: until it has been resolved. Uh, I think this is great. Death seems to always, not always, but often get remake attack actions. And this is no exception. Uh, the fact that you can just remake it without using the command counter if you want to is excellent. And then... There's the chance that you can just remove the command counter, get plus one dice, and there will be situations where that's a very reasonable thing to do. Um, yeah, this is a great card in every format. I think you take this in every single deck.
0: I completely agree. Um, I'm not going to add much in, in addition, except to the fact that this doesn't work for Jedrin because it's
1: only for Graveguard. Oh, true. Yes, it's it's a good thing to take note of when you're using it. The next one is Rise Again,
0: Restricted to Your Leader. So, Velmourne has to be on the table for you to use this card. Remove one command counter from your leader. When you do, place one friendly fighter that is out of action on a starting hex in your territory. Give that fighter one raise counter, then give that fighter wound counters until that fighter is vulnerable.
1: Um, Partial Resurrection was good enough to get restricted. Now, and this is literally the same text, I'm pretty sure. Um... Very now, similar, at least, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it doesn't have the command counter thing, but yeah. Um, the thing about partial resurrection is that there were really good fighters to resurrect with it. Yeah. I, I don't think bringing back any of these with one wound is, like, really game-breaking. Obviously, bringing back a fighter that can, you know, immediately charge or hold an objective that otherwise it couldn't or something like that, like, that's nice. Like there will be uses for this, especially in rivals and nemesis where you might, this is probably going to be a really, really good card for those formats. I'm not sure it sees championship play, but I think in a nemesis deck, you will always have this and it'll probably catch your opponent out in a lot of games.
0: I like the nemesis explanation. I actually think you're going to want to take this in championship as well. You think so? Yeah. Inspired Jedrin coming back even for one attack, slaps, two smash, Mm. three damage. True. Inspired Thane coming back with three fury, two damage is pretty solid as well, I think.
1: I don't know if I'd want to bring back Jedran just because he is large. That's fair. That's yeah. That's completely fair. But bringing back inspired Thane, like imagine you get a scything and then he dies and then you bring him back with this and they get us another scything. Like, that'd be insane.
0: Yeah. Good call on the Jedron I wasn't thinking about the large text, but... Yeah. Even if any of your other fighters are inspired, worst case scenario... Three Fury, two damage attack.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, in, that's, that's good. It's, it's better than two smash. It's pretty good. And especially if they have, a, like, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, it's championship. You're bringing, you're probably bringing some good weapons, like maybe the Cursed Weapons from Nether Maze. Yeah. Um, bring back a guy with Cursed Boarding Pike with Rise Again. Pfft, that That's pretty sick. Nuts. I definitely think Cursed Boarding Pike should be restricted.
0: It's just an insane card. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's possibly the best weapon in the game at the moment. Yeah. Okay, next one is Shaishian Infusion. Heal 2, one friendly
1: Gaveguard. guard. Uh, I mean, the obvious combo is that you bring back with Rise again and then you play Shaishian Infusion, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of two damage attacks in the game, so heal 2 is like fine. Um. It's really good in Nemesis where there's not as far as we know, because at the time of this recording, the Nemesis document hasn't come out yet, so we, we're pretty sure you can't use Essentials. So there's not a whole lot of plus one dice or plus one damage cards in the game, and there's a lot of two-damage attacks. So in Nemesis, where there's a lot of two-damage things flying around, Shai Infusion is great. In Championship, you're usually just getting one shot. And then this is not as good. But I think in Nemesis and Rivals, this is going to be a really good card.
0: I like this card. Um, For all the reasons you stated, Mm -hmm. I agree that this might not be the best addition to your championship deck but that being said, healing is really hard to come by in championship because most of it is restricted and I think this can um, maybe help one of your fighters tank a little bit longer, especially if you put them on four upgrades. Sure. Or four wounds, excuse me. So, I agree it's better in Nemesis. It's pretty decent in, in, in Rivals. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a world in which this could see playing Championship. But Possibly. I'm like
1: 50-50 on that. Yeah, I mean, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I think there is, if I'm not mistaken, a plus one wound in this faction. Um, I could be wrong about that. In that. In which case, that's... Then it becomes a little bit more exciting, Um, but I might be wrong about that. Anyway,
0: the next card is Spike of Terror. Choose one enemy fighter within two hexes of one or more friendly fighters. That fighter's player picks two. You push the chosen fighter one hex, or you stagger the chosen fighter, or you give the chosen
2: fighter one move token.
1: I mean, this is, mm, it's a hard card to evaluate. I think it's a good card. Like, you're going to be fine with this in Rivals and in Nemesis, uh, just because it's going to be better than a lot of the alternatives. Um, It's hard to evaluate for Championship, because I'm trying to think of what your opponent picks in which situations. Like, I think a lot of times your opponent just takes the move token, because... All it does is stop them from charging now and they could even move with a move token now. So that's not like a, as massive a, of a downside as it used to be, but it can turn off charges for an important fighter, like Morgok or something like that. Um, it, this is insanely good against hold objective war bands. Cause like push a chosen fighter and stagger them so they can't delve is like, it can be crippling in the right situation, right?
0: Um. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you're right in that it's it's interesting to think like what they're going to pick. Yeah, like the the easy thing is like if they already have a move token, they're going to take the move token. Yeah. So then it's like okay, so do they want to get staggered or pushed? I mean, either way, it's pretty decent. Um, because you get to push the chosen fighter, so you get to manipulate their fighter, or at the very least, you get to make them harder to hit which can, of course, affect their ability to delve, right? Maybe they're planning on delving, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, If they're on the objective, they'll take the move token or the stagger. So, I think more often than not, they're going to take – I think you're right. They're going to take the move token. But I do think it it presents an interesting situation because at the very least, this is a distraction. Yeah. And at the very least, it's a – Just stagger a fighter. uh, At the very least, it's a move token, right? Like you're going to get one of the three. You're going to get two of the three. Are you going to get the one you want every time? Maybe, maybe not. And I think all three of those effects are still fairly decent because the way I look at it, it's distraction plus stagger or move token plus stagger.
1: Yeah, I think they're basically always going to pick stagger unless they desperately need to delve or or you're like lining up a really powerful attack. So, I think, as, I mean, basically as long as two of the three are good, they're just going to not pick one of them and they will pick one that you're okay giving out. So, yeah, it's a good card. I think it's solid. Um, It'll, it'll be interesting to see how many championship decks it makes it into, but I think it makes it into every single Nemesis deck.
0: Yeah, the championship spot is where I find
1: that it may not make it. <laughs> Also, well, I guess in championship you have to think of what enemy pushes are in the game. Like, we still have center retention, but we just lost hypnotic buzz. Um, But I, it's also like your
0: opponent's choice. You can't ever gonna. you're never going to control the outcome. True. Except maybe you just know that
1: you'll get a stagger. True. Yeah, that's true.
0: Right? But I think if you play this in a very clever way, it can really bone your opponent. Mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. I mean, it's
0: I think it's a high skill card.
1: Yeah. And it's like knowing when to play it. It's high skill on both sides too, because your opponent needs to know what you want out of it and not give it to you as well. Yeah.
2: Agreed. Um, Okay.
0: Next one is surprising swiftness plus two move to the first friendly fighter other than a large fighter to make a move action in the next activation.
1: Great. Every time plus two move has been a play card in the game, it's generally been played. Uh, spectral Wings, um, uh, Outrun Death. I'm trying to think of the one that said you couldn't charge as part of it. And even that one saw play occasionally for some decks. Um, I think it was memberness membranous. Wings. Wings yeah, is another one. one. No, that's you have to charge. Oh, that's you have to charge. There's another one that I'm um, not thinking. There's another one. But yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good. good. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it on jedron but kind of whatever. I mean. He's going to be front and center anyway. Uh, Not only Jedrin,
0: but if you ever give Velmore a plus one wound, you can't use it with him.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, True. That's actually very worth considering, but I think you're just going to put this on a little guy hopefully with a weapon or just an inspired Thane who's got a pretty good two damage attack and just use him as a missile. So, it's a good card. Love it.
0: Yeah, or worst case scenario, movement five onto an objective. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know, pretty solid. Next one is Velmorn's Curse. Reaction. Play this after an enemy fighter's attack action that takes a friendly fighter out of action. If the fighters were adjacent to each other, deal one damage to the attacker.
1: Um, These are pretty common in death war bands. This, like, deal one damage back when you die. This one's kind of bad in that they have to be adjacent, so it doesn't work on range two or three attacks. Um and generally they're not that great anyway, because one damage is usually not insane.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's nice in Rivals and uh Nemesis, where like we said, there's not a whole lot of great fortitude, uh or there's it's really only if you have it in faction, so even one damage is really threatening. Um I don't think it sees play in championship basically ever, but I think I think it edges its way into a number of nemesis decks.
0: Yeah, I agree with Championship that I don't think you're going to run this card. Mm -hmm. With Nemesis, I actually think it's not going to make the cut either. I just think it's too boring.
1: Yeah, it's not exciting for sure. Uh, Is that our last play? That is our last Gambit slash play? Oh, yes. Um, Gambit. Uh, So, I'm going to go ahead and pick my favorite out of here. Um, yeah, it's actually there's a couple.
0: There's good a couple ones, of good
1: ones actually. Uh, I think I'm actually just going to go with Imperious Will because I like the flexibility of it when it comes to allowing your leader to do things he might not otherwise be able to do, and and it just makes him more survivable because you get him inspired to give him a guard token. That's pretty solid.
0: Yeah, especially when yeah, especially when he's inspired. Um, I also like that Impervious Will. Like, allows you to, depending on the situation, Mm -hmm. um, get that support bonus or allow you to spend it to do something else.
1: Yeah, and especially if your opponent goes first and you get to play this before your first activation, that's potentially four activations worth of um, supported Supported fighters. Yeah, which is really, really solid.
0: I agree. Um, I'm really caught between... Rise Again and Redoubled Fervor. But I guess I'll go with Rise Again just because I like the fact that you can bring a fighter back. Yeah, for sure. And um,
1: in the card art
0: it is Thane.
2: <laughs> it's true.
0: And I think yeah. he's he's probably the one that you're going to want to bring back. So Yeah,
1: because he's, he's just good in general.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I think overall the Gambit deck is pretty solid. Um, it's not like incredible but i think it definitely helps you score your objectives which is exactly what a rivals deck should do um and i think it gives you more options to play with command counters what do you think
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff in here that it it makes some of the fighter cards feel a little bit better like you said with command tokens with some pushes with some extra movement um it takes away a lot of the downsides that we were talking about with the fighter cards
0: Yeah. I don't think it's the strongest gambit selection we've seen, but... No, but I don't think that... It's not the worst by far. Either. No,
1: there there are an, uh, some quote-unquote stinkers in here, but um, not as many as we've seen in the past for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, looks like we're now on to the upgrades.
1: Yeah, and I'll start reading these out. So, the first one we've got on here is Experience of Ages. Uh, This fighter's range one and range two attack actions have ensnare and you can reroll successes in the attack. And you can reroll successes in the attack rolls of those attack actions. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this one is, 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 very interesting. The ensnare is cool. I like it pretty useful in certain scenarios. Mm -hmm. Essentially what this allows you to do is if you're really crit fishing, you can reroll all your successful attacks and try to get some crits.
1: Oh, like if you roll um, three attacks on – or three hits on three dice, you can just chuck two of them and try to get a so crit.
0: Yeah, or chuck all three if you're really wanting that Grievous. Yeah, that's true. So, um, it's 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 the first of its kind in a way. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, it, it plays really well to the ability of the fact that you are crit fishing.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like it as well. I mean, even just giving in snare out because there's a lot of two dodge warbands is good. So, I think it's just good based yeah. on that alone.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely a meta call in championship and nemesis, but it's weird because like most of your guys hitting on fury. Mm-hmm. But and it's like taking the risk of like you roll maybe two dice or three dice you get one fury. What's the chance that it'll reroll as a crit? You know, one and six. Like it always. Pretty is. low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, Wait. but like pretty low is what I'm trying to say. So, um. But hey, I've seen crazier stuff happen on rerolling. Yeah, dice, so. it, it, it's a
1: it's a card that allows you to go sicko mode and try to try to go for those uh, yeah. glory rerolls. It's a good way to put. Yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, Next, we have Familial Bond a Reaction. After this fighter's activation, push this fighter one hex towards the closest other friendly fighter.
0: Yeah, an interesting card. One that I think you probably will see in Nemesis Championship. I think maybe as well because there is the supporting mechanic that's so prevalent in the Inspire. And because they're low accuracy, you're going to want that. Um, I like this actually really well with... Sir Jedron when he's inspired because he provides that support um, and he doesn't necessarily have to be adjacent to the enemy fighter. This is also really good on your leader because it allows him to get closer and make more attacks. Um, Also, you know, maybe you don't have to commit to a charge or a move to get that command counter Mm. because he can bump up, swing, get the command counter and then go from there, right? Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, Hmm. Yeah, I mean, self-pushes are always pretty good. It's a little bit limited in its directionality, but it's still good. Yeah, still solid.
0: Yeah, and we're losing silent step, right? So, this is
1: um, yeah, a pretty decent backup. It's okay, except that you can't use it aggressively, right? Because, like, a lot of times the silent step, you'd have a range two or a range three fighter and just, like, attack, push forward, attack, push forward, and just, like, keep going. Um but you don't even want to do that with this band because you're all range one anyway. You just kind of want to clump up like you were saying about support. So it, it works for them at the very least.
0: It also works really well with the range two and range three attacks. Yeah, true. You give someone a weapon. Yeah. And then they can swing, bump closer, swing, bump closer. Yeah, it's
1: possible to to set it up with the right upgrade uh, chain. No, it's a good card. Uh, speaking of good cards, uh, favored sun. Plus one defense while your leader is surviving. This is restricted only to Graveguard.
0: Yeah. It's a good card. Um, Turning any of your one block fighters into two block fighters is pretty relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish this could go on Jedron, truly, (laughs) but it makes sense why it can't. Um, This is going on Thane every game. Yeah. I think if you want to take it.
1: (laughs) Which is Which
0: I think in Nemesis you will.
1: Which is also amusing Because Thane is far from the favorite son And this is really great for him Yeah This warband is full of ironies Uh, Now we've got Fearless Lunge Um, This is an attack action upgrade So it's a weapon upgrade Uh, Range 2, 2 hammer, 2 damage You can reroll any number of dice In this attack roll After this attack action, stagger this fighter yeah,
0: big fan of the fact that they recognize that this warband has trouble hitting stuff. And so, they've given them their own attack action, um, which is pretty nice. Um, the fact that it's range 2, 2 damage, 2 smash is incredible. Um, and I think it's well worth the trade-off for staggering your fighter because hitting a one-block fighter isn't very um, difficult. And you're three wounds anyways, so you're probably going to get one shot, like, especially rounds two and three. Uh, maybe even round one. So, sure, stagger me. I'll still get a really nice attack. It's worth it. Yeah, in Nemesis, at least in Championship, I'm sure you can find a suitable replacement.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> curse boarding pick. Uh, <laughs> but um, the stagger doesn't matter if you're making it like third or fourth attack action either. I mean,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So it, it's it's just solid. Two hammer with any number of girls. Yeah, and the fact just, that you can
0: re-roll any of the dice is
1: great. Yeah, it might as well say four four hammer, which is just bonkers to think about. hmm mm-hmm. uh, Next, we've got fell Enchantments. Re- uh, so, this is Reaction. After an enemy fighter's failed attack action that targeted this fighter, give the attacker one curse counter. While a fighter has one or more curse counters, that fighter has minus one defense to a minimum of one and minus one dice from that fighter's attack actions to a minimum of one. Clear all curse counters at the end of the phase. Yeah, so I wish this was a gambit.
2: Mm.
0: Um, because you, you kind of want this surprise. Um, I think... It's interesting because like you're just painting this as a target on your fighter. So, this could be an incentive for or actually a disincentive, disincentivize your opponent to attacking a particular fighter because if the dice just abandon them or it doesn't work out, they pay a hefty price, a pretty hefty penalty. So, I kind of like that. Maybe you stick this on your leader. Maybe you put this on Jedrin, and um, you can maybe protect a fighter. Maybe you put this on Thane and it makes Thane... You know, maybe someone that your opponent avoids. So, in that regard, it is pretty neat. Um, I wonder if just taking Great Fortitude is better. Um, it's like one of those cards where I'm questioning. And the fact that the curse clears at the end phase is a little annoying as well. Because like your opponent could attack you in their fourth activation, miss, get cursed and then the curse
1: clears. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I think the curse make the fact that it clears makes me not really think about the minus one dice from the attack actions. It makes I mean, what I think you're really doing this for is you have it on a fighter who's up front and center, the enemy fails, then they have minus one defense, so you go after that person, like you use it as a debuffer, but you don't really have control over that debuff. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and I also just think, like, if your opponent really wants your fighter dead, they're going to go for it anyway. Oh,
2: yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, I think Nemesis, I would say, I can see it. And and honestly, it could be a great inclusion. Championship,
1: I think I would go somewhere else. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Next, we've got Heirloom Weapon. This is restricted to Grave Cards only, worth noting. Plus one damage to this fighter's range one and range two attack actions.
0: Love it. Give it to me all day, Nemesis Championship.
1: Yeah. Put it in the deck, move on with your life. I would say it's a shame you couldn't put on Jetron, but he's already three damage, and your leader's already two damage yeah. grievous goes to three damage grievous. So it's like you would probably end up wanting to put this on the graveyard anyway, right? Most of the time? Yeah. It's it's
0: I mean, once you get so like sibling rivalry two really helps because then all your grave go to three fury. Mm-hmm. Um, and three damage at that point, which is which is
1: solid. A really good attack profile. Yeah. That's like the, that's the Briar Queen. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a Briar Queen's attack profile. Briar Queen has ranged too, but yeah. But yeah, it, sure. But like the stats and the damage, yeah. We've all seen how the Briar Queen has ran through a war band. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Who's to say Thane can't do it either? Yeah.
1: Um, and Thane has a scything and we don't all know how crazy plus one damage things are on scything. Yeah, Saints, so so. if you give this a
0: thing, mm-hmm. his scything attack would be range one, three fury, two damage, Grievous.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: It's not bad. That's, it's pretty good. At the very least, it's a range one, three
1: fury, three damage with Trip. Yeah. You know? You don't even care about Trip. At that point, no. At that point, no. But this is, I think it's just, it's an auto include in every uh, format. Yes. Uh agreed Next we go Lord of Bones and as you might re- uh guess this is restricted to your leader. Uh reaction after this fighter's deadly command reaction, push each friendly fighter or push each friendly grave guard up to one hex towards the enemy fighter closest to this fighter. Sorry, I had to read that That's great. Cuz I thought it was push it towards each one closest to the graveguard but it's closest to the leader. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So, essentially, this again supports and that aggressive play style where maybe you charge with Velmorn or maybe make an attack with Velmourn, mm-hmm. Um where he's like, you know, entrenched in combat and then you make your reaction and then they run up and kind of continue to help him and support him. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, it it's, it's offers some good movement shenanigans if you can place it correctly um so that's why i like it in nemesis and championship i don't know if i'm taking it um because i guess you react to a reaction which is fine because you can do that but i don't know you you move them i guess it makes it i guess because they're so slow it can make it easier for them to keep fighting the fighter that's close the enemy fighter that's closest to Belmore. So, I, I can see the, the interest and the intrigue there. So, I'm, I'm not
1: sold on championship all the way, but I think it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, it's your leader activates and pushes three fighters, which is, I mean, it's, it's pretty darn good, you know? Yeah, I guess when you phrase it like that, it's so much better, Yeah, you know? I, I guess the downside is that... I don't think you can make the deadly command reaction if he already has a token. Actually, I'm not sure about that. I think you could just have as many tokens as you want. So, um, yeah, it's one or more. Commands yeah. So kind of you can just keep making it and you, can you more could just more. keep pushing. So you can, you could kind of treat him as a mini, um, uh, dentalos to an extent, kind of sort of not really, but in a way, <laughs> um, that's yeah, cool. It's, it's interesting. I think, We'll, I think we'll reevaluate this as we see it in action and see the situations for it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next, we've got Praetorian. This is restricted to Sir Jedron. Everybody's a big boy. Uh, reaction During an enemy fighter's attack action that targets your leader, after the attack roll, push this fighter up to three hexes to a hex adjacent to the attacker. This fighter is now the target of that attack action.
0: I really like this card. It's super thematic, but it just saves your leader. It's like those cards from um, Slanesh, you know, and other cards where it's like shared Mm pain. Like, obviously, this is a bit more, um, I guess, you know, your your opponent knows that it's there. Mm -hmm. um, And they know that they might have to contend with it. I think they can forget every once in a while. Yeah, Yeah, telegraphed. That was the word I was looking for. (laughs) It's certainly telegraphed, but I mean, if you're forcing your opponent to use push cards, that's worth it because then they can't use them elsewhere. But again, even if you place this, your opponent can just forget. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's, well, sometimes they just don't have a choice. It's like, what are they going to do? Not charge your leader and just like charge a graveyard instead. I mean, they could, but Velmoren is so central to the faction that like, yeah. I think they'll they'll probably go for it, knowing that it's going to re- get redirected anyway. In some situations, yeah,
0: it's um, it's a really really interesting card, and I and I want to try it, and I, and I think I'm going to like it a lot. Yeah,
1: especially given how big and uh, durable Sir Jedrin is.
0: Yeah, and I think interestingly, because Sir Jedrin's already large, he's going to be a great candidate for additional wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so he might just be a really tanky big boy and he might be able to just tank hits for his daddy.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you're just going to pal these guys around and, you know, also remember he supports if he's adjacent, even if, if he's adjacent to the friendly, even if he's not adjacent to the enemy. So there's a world in which, you know, he gets targeted and he gets attacked and then he continues supporting your leader and then potentially even inspires mm-hmm. off that. So like there's a lot of combo in this card. I think it's great.
0: Yeah. Solid, solid, solid. Uh,
1: next we have proud son. Uh, so previously we had favorite son. Now we have proud son. Uh, you can reroll one attack dice in the attack rolls for this fighters range. One attack actions only for grave guard. Ama- amazing. Mm-hmm. Even
0: if it's for Grave guard. Um, put this on early, you have three fury. Once they're inspired, they're hitting on four fury, which is two dagger levels of accuracy, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Auto include in all formats. Yep. Not much else to say, honestly.
1: Yep. We've always seen how good these types of decks are. So good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the final upgrade of the set. Uh, this is called the crown's curse reaction after the first power step in a round place one friendly graveyard that is out of action on a starting hex in your territory. Give that fighter one raise counter. Then, give that fighter wound counters until that fighter is vulnerable. Then there's a break here. Uh, While this fighter has one or more command counters, plus one dice to this fighter's available tomb blade, and this fighter is uninspired and cannot be inspired. So you put this on your leader. It's leader only, I should have mentioned. Yeah.
0: And he goes to Essentially, the only difference between his inspired profile and his uninspired profile is the fact that it's three damage Grievous one and two block versus one block, two damage Grievous one. But essentially what this means is that you're making him a three dice, two damage fighter which has the propensity to more likely Grievous, Mm -hmm. um, which is fine. You lose out on the block though which could be relevant. But in return, you get a pseudo Grimwatch ability where at the beginning of every, at the, after the first power step in a round. So that's, I guess, you're not going to get it round one. So this is round two and three. Mm. And it doesn't mean if it's a friendly or, uh, opposing power step. You can just place a fighter in a starting hex in your territory and make them vulnerable. Spelling all of that out. I don't think this is a stack of a card.
1: It's really hard to evaluate. Um, uh, it i thought about a lot of cards in this set, actually. Uh, because, because I think it is. I think that they're a weird faction to think about because of the way they work. Um, two reses for free is pretty sick. I mean, we've talked about, like, you know, they're not amazing when you bring them back. And you don't really have, now with this, you don't super have control because you don't know who's going first. And then they'll come back vulnerable, which is not great. Um, the command counter thing doesn't actually bother me because you could just choose not to give yourself a command counter and not take the plus one dice uh, on Inspire, right?
0: Mm, that's true. Also, so you give up the ability to get command counters. So, so effectively, what, you're, what what this card is also saying, as you've just mentioned, is you give up the ability to support your fighters, but you do bring them back for free.
1: Yeah. I mean... Still, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the the title is appropriate because it's called The Crown's Curse and it really is almost more of a curse than a blessing Um, in a lot of ways. I think two free reses is kind of worth it. Honestly, I mean... Yeah, assuming you draw it... In round one, that's true. Because yeah. if you draw it in round two, it's one free res and is one free res later in the game worth it? I guess it kind of is sometimes. One free res on a Graveguard. Yeah. Which I guess you don't want to bring Jedran back anyways, so... I mean, one free res on a Graveguard if it's... If you're bringing them back on round three after they've gotten... Like, you tool a Graveguard up in round one and two, your opponent kills it, you bring it back. It's kind of like the the best case scenario. Um... Yeah, you're right. It's like the more I think about it, the more I'm not crazy about it. Even in Nemesis, I'm kind of like, uh would I bring this over a Nemesis card? I'm not sure.
0: I think if the rival's deck that you pair with this deck is stronger on the gambit front, mm-hmm. then you probably end up taking this card because it might not have good replacements. Mm, that's fair. But I, I still, no, I don't think this is going to be taken in championship.
1: Yeah, no, not in championship at all. We'll see. We'll see what happens in Nemesis and what decks you pair it with. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think the more and more I stare at this card, the more and more <laughs> I
2: dislike it.
1: I kind of feel that. Uh, but but that does bring us to the end of the objectives and the end of the Rivals deck in general. Um, so, what's your favorite upgrade from this set? Praetorian, Praetorian,
0: yeah. Just, it's really cool. I, I may not necessarily go for the most pound for pound strongest card in the upgrade set and I, and I don't think it is, mm-hmm. um, but I do like the them- them- thematicism, but also the fact that it makes Jedrin more mobile while protecting your leader. Oh yeah, for
1: sure. Um, I'm actually going to go with a uh, lethal or fearless lunge, the range to attack action upgrade. Um mm-hmm. I had just I had had another thought about this while we were talking and that's that it's not restricted to graveyard. So this is absolutely a card you can give to Jedrin to make him a little bit scarier and he's got 5 wounds so if you stagger him it's not like the end of the world either. So um, mm. yeah, I just I just really like this card. I like any good weapon upgrade for this faction. I've talked about it bringing in uh, cursed weapons or illusion weapons. And I think this in faction one is an excellent take as well.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I think giving it to Jedrin is one that... So, I still think the Graveguard benefit more from it, but I don't think that giving to Jedrin is certainly bad at sure, all. Yeah. Especially if it helps him get inspired. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I like the fact that it's an attack action in the deck. Like, you know, it's built mm-hmm. in. Um. So cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. And obviously, there's some great upgrades in general. I think probably the upgrades are the most interesting part of
1: the warband. I, I think they are the most straightforward, powerful. I mean, we've got plus one dice. We got plus one damage. We've got debuffs. We've got buffs. Like we got pushes on upgrades, which are generally extremely strong. We've seen that over the years. Um. Yeah, the upgrades are a very strong portion of this deck. Yeah.
0: I think the upgrades actually make me think they're going to be better in Rivals than I initially thought Mm -hmm. Um, because the plus one dice, plus one damage, plus one defense, um, pushes as you mentioned, ensnare, re-rolls. I mean, they've kind of got – and this is what I like about the fact that they moved the model to like, you know, two big boxes a Mm -hmm. year. Is because you get these really well-rounded warbands that are super thematic. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy that.
1: Uh, So I I do want to talk a little bit about the faction overall, now that we've kind of talked about the entire Rivals deck. Um, Yeah. Kind of like go back to the beginning when we were talking about like, it's very, it's very inaccurate to start. Um, How do you, I, I think my question is, the more I look at this deck is how should you play them? Like how would, you know, Iman, How would you put a deck together? Because they're a little too inaccurate to be fully aggro, and they're a little slow yeah. to be fully aggro. They're only three move with range one, but they're not really that great at like holding objectives. They've got a couple good hold objective, uh, uh hold objective, objective cards in their deck, um, and they've got some decent pushes. But it's also not like, you know, they're not Grimwatch. They're not uh, Thorns of the Briar Queen, right? Um, what what sort of direction would you build with this faction? Yeah,
0: it's a good question. Um, it's really interesting you bring up Grimwatch because I was thinking about them also. And I was just thinking like, man, if Grimwatch and them just went straight head to head with no upgrades, I think Grimwatch tabled this Warband because they can they have the ability to do a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think that about means, the true, actually. Right? It's, it's weird if you think about it. The Warband is a bit pillow-fisted. Um, but ultimately like they are very interesting and I do want to enjoy them and play them. And so initially I'm thinking like, how do I really want to play these guys? And I think the biggest thing is that this is a war band that whether you like it or not has to lean aggro, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we make it to where they can benefit the most from either getting those hits through via supporting attacks or hopefully getting crits? So, we're going to take a lot of pushes. We're going to take a lot of accuracy. But we're going to take cards that are like. The extent of retention is great because it brings fighters in on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like counter charge for them. And I want to build a deck that allows them to sit in the midboard, hold objectives, maybe, you know, cover. Um, You know, maybe horrors in the dark. Um, Sure, the delving and the staggering makes that a little bit harder nowadays, but it's still doable. And then you fight and you don't have to have every surge that has to kill things. You can take things that are, you know, um, that revolve around placement or um, adjacency mm-hmm. um, or feature tokens and... I think throughout that, you're going to build a deck that hopefully if you can get the ball rolling with those crits, like once these guys are inspired, like they can take out any Warband, I think. It's just getting getting them them there. Yeah, I I
1: agree with that. That's the hardest part.
0: But I do think, I think like, I'm not even joking. I would take determined effort in this (laughs) Warband.
1: Just because you want- They need the Yeah, I mean- Determine effort is usually a card where it's like there's usually a Determine Effort plus and you don't take the base Determine Effort. I would almost take all Determine Effort pluses and then Determine Effort and just be like as many rerolls and plus dices as one can manage. Yeah, because they benefit the most yeah. from it. Yeah, I think, I mean, if Curse Boarding Pike is probably an auto include in like 90% of decks anyway that don't have, that like need a good attack, uh, I think in this it's like an auto auto include. If you put it in even before your faction cards. Um, but like I said, I think illu- like this is a faction. I would almost consider illusory might even over the new rivals decks, which I think both the new rivals decks are really good, but I would almost consider illusory might in nemesis for these guys. Just be like, you get phantom fists, you get phantom darts and both of those make them their turn one insanely more reliable and insanely more powerful. Yeah. So it's worth a think at least.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and I mean, if look, let's take a look at uh,
1: what's the deck called? Um, Deadly Delvers. Deadly Depths. Oh, the the last one that came out, or Daring Delvers, the new one. No, D- Deadly Depths. Mm. Um,
0: that has murderous tides. Oh, so right. yeah. To further, so like you know, it's plus one dice to attack actions made by friendly fighters that have one or more supporting fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, this warband likes that supporting strategy, and Murderous Tides can be helpful there. Um, and it, it it persists until you know you make the attack action, so you can kind of throw it out there. Right. So that kind of lends further credence to your Deadly Depths rivals deck. Or did you say Silent Medic? No, I said
1: Illusory Might actually. Did you say it? Well, I said a loser might just because um because of the weapons associated with it, but uh, uh. yeah, I, I mean, a couple of the other ones have good weapons and have good pushes and have good uh, accuracy. So I mean, I think I think they'll be pretty good in Nemesis as long as you pick the right cards.
0: Yeah, I mean, in in that in in um, in what the hell is it called again? In Nemesis. A oh, loser might. Yeah. The Dark Termination is there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're attacking the leader, you get the plus one dice and you said Phantom Darts. That's great mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think I think Illusory Might is a pretty good shout. I do like uh, Deadly Depths with them a little bit. Um, I think there's some good cards they can benefit from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Silent Menace rotates. So, those are the two Rivals decks. And I think from the two new Rivals decks, I mean, you said you like them both. Which one do you think is better for the Warband?
1: I want to say i want to say daring Delver just because the way their plot card works, and you can kind yeah. of play around that uh because it kind of shores up their you can use their uh, the exploration mechanic uh to kind of shore up their mediocre end phase objectives and just kind of do that yep. as their flex um I yeah. don't know how many of those power cards you take out of that deck uh some of them are good, not all of them, but some of them are pretty good um but just because I think the I think honestly, other than the uninspired sides, the, the weakest part of the deck itself is the end phase objectives. Their searches are fine for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah. Um so if you could find some way to get them reliable end phases in Nemesis, I think that's probably the way to go.
2: Yeah.
0: I think you could also So I do like Daring Delvers over Tooth and Claw. Mm. I think Tooth of Claw is a more aggressive deck, though. That's true. You can you can consider so, that synergy. Yeah. So in that perspective, you know, like I know that it revolves around the Savage mechanic, which we'll get into. Right. If you haven't heard that episode right. yet, we'll get into that in that episode. But I mean, like, you know, you can score like, like Mauled. That was actually previewed on Warcom, where you can friendly fighters attack action, took attack action if it's supported by. One or more savage fighters. So, if you want to play with a savage mechanic, you can do mm-hmm. that. Um, and you know, because you're, I think you're. If you're staggered, you're a beast, or you're savage. Yeah. If, you, if you're staggered, you're savage. Uh, if you've charged, if you have two or more wounds, well, yeah. yeah. And and like the weapon that you really like staggers you.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, so there is synergy there. Um, and I think they have some gambits there that, you know, can help you. Push yourself or, um, you know, you can pick Cleaver and Snare with determined brutality, you know, just to name a couple. I mean, like, there's some cool cards there. Um, you can even internal surrender, right? Choose one friendly fighter. Yeah, sure, you're savage, but then you have plus one dice to your range one attack action. So yeah, the, like the
1: accuracy in that deck as well. Yeah, I mean... The the choice for nemesis for this warband is going to be really really tight. I think um, it it wouldn't be if essentials was still in here, but it wouldn't be for anybody else. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think um, I'm very interested to see. Obviously, this is not the the episode for it, but. Uh, the way the new rivals deck interact with various factions and the ways they're interacting with this faction already have got my gears turning in terms of uh yeah building a deck
0: yeah I mean there there are, there's a lot of cool things that both those decks offer in terms of mechanics mm-hmm. that really make you think um, but then there's also just some great cards like again another card they have gifted ferocity in that deck. Plus one dice to all range one attack actions. Mm. You know? Like, that's great for championship and ms It play. is, yeah. So, um, I think we're going to see some really cool stuff all around. Um, I think both decks work. I think you mentioned, um, what's it again? Silent Menace? Uh, uh, no. Ill- illusory Might. Illusory yeah. Might. Jesus, I need to remember that. Illusory Might, I think, is another great shout. I like all the stuff here. And, and, and I can't wait to talk about... The rivals' decks and what warbands we think will do well with the new two new rivals' decks, right? Yeah, for sure. We'll keep that in mind when we're recording the, war, the episode. Yeah. But overall, I think to answer your question again, the way I play these guys is load up on accuracy, play in the midboard. I'm not fast enough to get to you at the end of the board. Um, and I'm not defensive enough to like tank you. So I have to proactively trade my fighters. <clears throat> And really rely on clumping up in the middle of the board to make the most out of my reactions and supports. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I agree with that.
0: Anything else you want to add about the Sons of Elmore?
1: Um I'm excited, man. I think they're really cool and I uh I can't wait to play them because I, I've gone through like a roller coaster of emotion with these guys because at first I was like, wow, the models are great. And then like the first time I read through their cards, I was like wow, they're so pillow-fisted. That doesn't feel good. And then, like, the more I thought about their power deck and stuff, I was like, actually, you can make this work. Um, So, I'm, like, going up and down, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to land on these guys, and I really want to play them to figure that out. How about you? Yeah. I'm excited for them. Like,
0: you know, it's interesting because, like, you know, we had this whole spiel about Death War bands, and, like, I don't. I think maybe maybe Dave, you know, because it's the Dave effect, right? All death death war bands are are really strong, mm-hmm. and the, these guys are good. But I don't know if they're as overtly powerful as we've seen in the past. I want to. I want you to get your thoughts on that before I answer your question. Say it again. So compared to previous death war yeah. bands, I feel like this particular death war band
1: isn't as overtly Overt, powerful. Okay. Um, I would agree. I think in terms of power level, uh, they're probably among the lower death. Uh, maybe only, yeah, they're probably among the lower death. Like they're, they're above sepulchral guard, uh, nowadays. Um, You know, when I went on my spiel, it was not that death are like the most overpowered or I think they're the best ones to play. I think they're the most interesting because they usually have the most interesting mechanics. And the interesting Mm -hmm. mechanic on these guys is command token. And yeah, I don't think it's as interesting as previous ones. It does. Mm -hmm. It does put thoughts in. Right. Like it doesn't make you think it does make you. Plan your turn very proactively which I think is interesting in and of itself, but like it's not as interesting as some of the other mechanics that are available to death faction. So for that one, I don't think they're my favorite death faction, but I am going to give them a fair shake. Like I do with all of them.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree in that death has the opportunity thematically to be some of the most unique and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about this war band is it doesn't give me any red flags off of that
1: True. Um, There's nothing here that's like, wow, that's going to need to be eroded or wow, that's going to need to be absolutely nerfed down the line. Yeah, cough, exile, dead (laughs) cough. But I think, you know, the
0: interesting thing is like, even though their fighters aren't very good, I still want to play them and I think that means something.
1: Yeah, there's some interest. There's some inherent interest because it's like, you see... I guess it's just because the puzzle pieces don't in innately fit together. Right? You see all these pieces, there's a lot of little things. There's good surges. There's good power cards. There's really good upgrades. There's support built in. You have a large fighter that has three damage off the crack. You have a leader that can be three damage off the crack. Like these are all nice mechanics. And then I think, you know, for for people like us who like deck build and try new things being like oh i think i could get all these to fit together i think there's something here that i can just make work right it's not very obvious but i think i can put this together if i try
0: yeah it's really interesting um and and i completely agree with you i think that's kind of where i'm at mentally is like there seems to be something that needs to be or can be Mm -hmm. unlocking and i feel like we can we can make it work yeah yeah um Okay, I guess in the um, tier ranking, where would you place these guys? In Championship and Nemesis. And Rivals, actually.
1: I think Rivals, they go into an A just on their upgrades. Just on their objectives, actually. I mean, this is a faction with six playable surges. So and that's good. something, like, even in old war bands, like, Beastgrave and Dire Chasm, where there were six uh, surges in a faction a lot of them were trash for to mm. you know maybe not trash but at least like not as reliable as these ones and to to have a faction where all your faction surges are viable at the very minimum I think automatically places yeah. them in A tier and like you said their upgrades are sick um, Nemesis I think they're probably an A for the same reason a lot of the Rivals decks don't have enough surges to like fill out a faction with bad surges and a lot uh-huh. of them don't have solidly reliable upgrades like like these. Um, I think their faction deck is strong enough to carry them in those two settings. In Championship they suffer a little bit because Championship I think is really built heavily on a handful of good good like spike cards in your faction deck which they do have but Mm -hmm. then also really good fighters and I think their fighters don't quite take the cake there so I think they're like B or C tier in championship
0: yeah it's interesting I would agree in that rivals I think they're like they're competitive like B, Mm -hmm. A, lower A Nemesis I think you know it's so interesting because I think Hexbane Hunters kind of skews everything in Nemesis Mm -hmm. oh that's true because they're just really good they are so good. Um, so, if, if Hexman Hunters is the top of the poll, which I think is in my opinion, like, I think these guys would be a B in Nemesis. Like, and then in Championship, I think you're right. They're in the B and C territory. Because I actually think, again, Hexfane Hunters just kind of rips through them. Yeah. But I think for newer players, what you need to take away from this particular part of our conversation is that they're very playable and they're ver- they're going to do very well and be competitive in the beginner formats, which are Rivals and Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And I think once you upgrade to Championship, I think with enough reps and perhaps an expanded card pool, they can perhaps perform at the same level or, you know, you can decide to play something else. Sure. But um, I definitely think this is going to be a fun Warband and I think what – what I want to reinforce and, and not discourage you from playing them is that Zach and I both said that we're both very interested in the way this warband plays. Zach and I are very hardcore championship players. And I think if we both see potential in this warband, then I think you can. Yeah,
1: No, I agree.
0: 100%. Right on. So, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Um, I'm really excited about Sons of and Zach, you're excited about Sons of mm-hmm. Elmore. Great miniatures, great lore, very thematic cards, powerful cards. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, they have those spiky cards that are needed and I think they have the tools to make their fighters a little bit better. Um, So, yeah. I think, you know, as our death resident and our expert, you know, I'm glad that we kind of tackled this Mm -hmm. one. But I'm telling you, the gnarl Spirit Pack, that's going to be my jam. And for those of you who haven't listened to that one yet, I encourage you to check that one out because I think that's going to be equally exciting, perhaps maybe even more exciting.
1: They're they're pretty great. I would agree.
0: All righty. Well, thanks again for listening and thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash glory. You can find all of our blog content on paththeglorypodcast.com. And if you have any feedback, questions or comments, let us know. um, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. We have our own Discord. It's called Path to Glory Podcast. And um, if you are listening on whatever media application, give us a thumbs up if you can. It just helps spread the word. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. (laughs)